Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Um, we're going to read from Habakkuk chapter 1, um, and I'm really going to be teaching from verse 13 today. Um, those of you that have been with us, uh, you know that we've been in Habakkuk for a couple of months now, and at the speed we're going, <laughs> we might have Habakkuk for the holidays. Um, I don't know. Uh, I am just, I don't know, I'm just seeing so much in, in this, this uh, passage for today. It's so interesting. This could have been written in 2020. So just to give some vantage point, if some of you haven't been watching faithfully, um, I don't know, some, some of my family around here. By the way, I think it's, is it Aunt Robin's birthday today? Yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday, Aunt Robin. And is it Clyde's birthday also? Happy birthday, oh, Clyde. Yeah. And it's Aunt, It's my sister's wedding anniversary, yeah. Aunt Sarah's wedding anniversary, and Doug. It was a year ago today. We were out here on that beach, and I performed the wedding. So anyway, just to bring you guys all into the family a little bit. But um Anyway, uh, uh, let's, let's go back. I just want to read real quickly through Habakkuk um, chapter 1, just the previous 12 verses before verse 13 that we're on. Um, verse 1 says, the, this is the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. And Habakkuk is, is unique in that it's one of the few books, uh, prophetic books, where uh, the prophet initiates the conversation with God. Typically, God initiates conversations with prophets, uh, with Isaiah, with Elijah, with... Amos, Joel, so many of the prophets, God interrupts the prophet and starts speaking to him. But Habakkuk is weird in the sense that he actually, he cries out to God first. And it's recorded here. And so in verse 2, Habakkuk starts the conversation with God. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. That The first cry is a, is a mournful cry. The second cry uh, the word for that means to scream. So Habakkuk um, didn't start off a nice conversation with God. He's he's screaming at the top of his lungs, violence to God. And and he's saying, God, how long? And you will not say, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Like I said, this could have been written in 2020. And it's almost like he's saying, why do, you, why do you put it before me? Why do you show me? Like, I know it's out there. I know it's in the world. But why is it happening in my community? Why is it happening in my city? Why is it happening in my family? Why, why is this in front of me? Why do you cause me to see this? There's plundering and violence are before me. Strife and contention arises. You're on Facebook. You know all about this. Therefore, he says, the law is powerless. The actual word means paralyzed. In other words, it can't feel. The law can't feel its citizens. It's insensitive, and because it can't sense its, its citizens, it's, it, it can't actuate the ideas that were behind the law. It's powerless. It's completely broken. Justice, he says, never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. There's more wicked people than our righteous people. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. So this is Habakkuk's prayer. It's, it's just a complaint. Honestly, it's just a, a long complaint. It's a lament. 
God, how long are you going to make me keep looking at this? Why is this happening in my community? Why is this happening among the people of God, right? We're supposed to be the chosen people of God. And yet all of this stuff, perverse judgment, there's inequality, injustice, violence all over the place. And he's crying out to God. So it was interesting. We were preaching on this passage just back in May, um, just before the George Floyd incident. And that this is literally all I had to say to the George Floyd. I'm asking God how long. Do, is there going to be this injustice? What is going on here? And it's okay to cry out to God like that because Habakkuk is doing it. And God responds to that. God's reply is, don't worry, everything's going to be wonderful. Even when you can't see it, I'm, no, no, he doesn't say that. Uh, verse 5, God says, look among the nations. So God responds to Habakkuk and he says, look among the nations. To, the word look means it's epi, uh, it, it means to look around. So it's a combination of to look and to look around. So he says, okay, so that was one of my sermons, I don't know, weeks ago, that even when you can't see God doing something in front of you, that doesn't mean God's not doing anything around you. God's probably doing more around you than he's doing in front of you, and he's, he's still working, like the song says, even when I can't see it, you're working. Uh, even when I can't see it, because he's still doing things. And so he says, look, look among the nations. You're asking me why things are happening in your city. Well, I'm not just working in your city. I'm working all around the world. And so he says, look around. And as Habakkuk picks up his eyes, he's, uh, God says, be utterly astounded. What that means is to wonder at the wonder of what God's doing. So you've been wondering at your problem. You've been wondering at the situation in front of you. But if you start wondering at the wonder of what I'm doing, uh, that's called worship. And so we talked about that a few weeks back. Um, he says, for I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe though it were told you. And it's almost like Habakkuk said, well, try me. So verse 6, he starts to describe what he's about to do. He says, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation that marched through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. If you're a part of that sermon a few weeks back, you know just how terrible and dreadful they were. We went to some historic stuff. They were not nice people. And so, I think Gloria's still remembering some of the visuals. Uh, they were not nice people. And God says, I am raising up the Chaldeans. And so we talked about uh, uh, that, 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 what that means. He says, they, they possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They're terrible and dreadful. Their judgment, he says, and their dignity proceed from themselves. Be careful when you're the only one who can judge you. When you're the only one that can judge you, that's where humanity really goes off the rails. When their judgment proceeds from themselves and when their dignity, my sense of self-worth is just based on me. And as soon as as soon as you become a law unto yourself, things get really sketchy. And uh, that's what he's saying. He says, look, these guys are so bad, they don't let anybody judge them. Nobody can judge me, but yeah. And uh, that's how bad it's gotten. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than eating wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as an eagle that hastens to eat. They come for violence, he says in verse 9. Now, that's the one word that Habakkuk has in quotation marks that his prayer is. There's violence here, Lord. And God says, don't worry, I'm bringing some violence. Uh, they come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes. Now this is prophetic about what's going to happen with King Nebuchadnezzar, which we talked about. His mind changes and he transgresses and he commits an offense because he ascribes this power to his God. Now that's God's response. 
Habakkuk says, Lord, there's too much violence around. There's too much injustice. Lord, would you do something? And God says, hey, I am doing something. I'm bringing the Chaldeans into Jerusalem, into Judah, to Judea. And if, if Habakkuk thought he had a problem with the violence in Judea, he now is faced with the very even greater problem of the violence of the Chaldeans coming to Judea and the Judeans being carried away captive. And so I talked about last week the first portion of Habakkuk's response, which is verse 12. Habakkuk responds to God. And so, yeah, I mean, it's so interesting to me that you can, you can have a problem. You say, where's God? What's going on? And then when God reveals himself, you might have even a bigger problem. Because it's sometimes easier to believe that God is secretly behind the scenes doing things that we would agree with than it is to see the very things that God is doing and recognize that, wait a minute, I don't think that's right. That his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, which doesn't mean that they're better. It means they're completely different. And so Habakkuk has some problems now. And his first problem is verse 12. He says, wait a minute, are you not from everlasting? As soon as he found out what God was actually up to, he began to question the character and nature of God. Because he's like, I thought I had you pegged. I thought I knew you. I thought you were in this box. Are you not from everlasting? Now, what that means is not just are you not eternal, but rather are you not immutable? Like, I thought you made a covenant with David and you wouldn't forsake that covenant. This is the great question of Scripture. Is God just or is he faithful? <laughs> and so we talked about that last week. Not actually last week because I was sick last week. But last time I preached, I, I, I kind of answered that question. And we saw how God is faithful, but he is also just at the same time. He is both. And so right here he says, wait a minute. I thought you were from everlasting. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. Lord, you've appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. So his first question has to do with the fact, wait a minute, I thought you were faithful. I thought you weren't going to forsake your people. I thought that you made this covenant with David right about 400 years before this was written. And for 400 years, we saw David's children do all kinds of things, and you never removed them because, well, you made a covenant with them. And he did make a covenant, and he is faithful to his covenant, but he's also just. And so this is his first problem that he has. Now he shifts the focus in verse 13 and instead of questioning the character and nature of god <clears throat> he holds fast to the character of god but he doesn't understand how god who is this could do that so he's questioning more the behavior of god if you are that then why are you doing this and that's in verse 13 he says you are of purer eyes than to behold evil you cannot look on wickedness and that's true now it's not true in a sense of that he can't see it like he's blind to wickedness that's not what he means. He means you can't look on him with favor. Like we would say you can't wink at wickedness. You can't smile at wickedness. You can't, you can't approve of this. You're a pure eyes in the uh, approve of this. And because you're empowering these people, it's like you are approving of them. And that's a confused confusion for Habakkuk. He says, and that's true. And God goes on to emphasize this in chapter two. Goes on to, God goes on to explain. He's right. I'm not approving of anything that these Chaldeans are doing. Um, I'm rather I'm using them. And so now comes the question. Habakkuk says, why do you look on or why do you approve of those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Verse 14, why do you make men like fish of sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They, the Chaldeans, take up all of them with a the hook. They catch them in their net, gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. 
They even sacrifice to their net, burn incense to their dragnet, because by them their share is sumptuous and their food is plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? So his question is, God, if you are this, then why are you behaving like this? Why are you empowering these people who are evil like fishermen? They just, without thought, they just gather people up. They do it for sport. They do it for fun. They just kill them and gather as many as they can. They just destroy life. They don't, they don't value life. Why are you allowing them? Why are you remaining silent while they are just running rampant through the world? And this is Habakkuk's question. Once again, this could be written in 2020. God, why do you allow trafficking? God, why, do you, why is tuberculosis still killing 2,500 people a day throughout the world, even though we know it's preventable? Why, why, why are like twice as many people projected to starve this year than were projected to starve uh, in January? They had to update it because of COVID-19. Heck, why is there COVID-19? Why are you allowing this thing to continue? Um, COVID-19. Anyway, I don't know if you saw that little <laughs> remix. Um, like, we even have a remix. Why is it still around when we got a remix? Like, uh, like. And then on top of that, we have the racial injustice and we have the protest and, we, and the rioters, two different people. But and, and like, why is God sitting back? It seems like the world's spinning out of control. And all of these evil things, we're asking God to take something out. So anyway, uh, what I preached on uh, last time was the fact that Habakkuk is in the middle. You got to be careful when you're in the middle. Things get messy in the middle. Um, Habakkuk is literally, from a, a, a historical perspective, in the middle of God's promise to David and God's fulfillment to David. So God promised to David that the Messiah would be born through him, his kingdom would last forever. And then 400, right about 400 years later, Habakkuk writes this. And in six, less than 600 years after Habakkuk, um, you have the fulfillment of the Messiah coming. So he's literally in the middle. So I talked about last week how we have to be careful when we're in the middle. Things get messy in the middle. You can start to doubt God in the middle. But if you look back and get some perspective, you see that God is faithful to his promises. And so um, last week, we really just talked about how it takes some patience. If you are patient and you just go with the process and you stay with God, you will end up eventually seeing what he promised. Well, patience isn't the only thing that you need because Habakkuk is not just in the middle of a time-sensitive situation. He's also in the middle of a process. And the process is different, right? So if you're in the middle of time, then you just... You just got to weather the storm for long enough. But if you're in the middle of a process, you actually have to go through the process to get to the final product. And for Habakkuk, his feeling is, God, if you just take away violence, and I don't know if, if you're here today and you're asking God to take something away. I mean, if you've been following him for very long, you've probably asked him to take something out, hopefully. Hopefully you recognize something in your own heart, at least, that needs to go. Um, if not, you know, don't look around at your spouse right now, but maybe in your marriage, something needs to go. Uh, certainly in your teenagers, something's got to go. There's got to be some stuff that have to, and in your city, I mean, my goodness, if you if you have any friends on Facebook uh, Facebook at all, like, you know, some, some people got to go. That's why they got that black button, you know what I'm saying? The unfollow button, because there's some things that got to go. There's some things that we pray and ask God to remove from us. That's exactly what Habakkuk was doing. He was saying, God, remove violence, remove injustice, remove inequality. Get this stuff out of here. It's got to go. And instead of God removing something, he inserts something. 
it's what's so interesting is that God also wants violence to go. But the way, sometimes God's math is kind of, kind of jacked up. Where he's asking for subtraction, and God's like, okay, let me add something. The Chaldeans. He's adding violence on top of the violence that was there. He's adding injustice on top of the injustice that was there. He's adding the Chaldeans. And this is why Habakkuk is so messed up in his mind. And this is why, I don't know if you follow God for very long, you might get messed up too. You might get misunderstood. Because it's like, God, I asked you to take away something, and now you're adding something. But the truth is uh, that there are times, and this is the title of my sermon, there are times when God introduces an irritant. So there are times when God introduces an irritant. Because in order to get rid of what God wants to get rid of, Sometimes he has to bring in something else. This is, this is true in all of life, right? As I'm trying to wash my favorite car. You can just try to get rid of the dirt with water. But that doesn't work because dirt gets caked on to the clear coat. So sometimes you have to introduce an irritant. You know, like uh, it's called clay bar. It, it's, it's just scratchy enough to dig up the stuff that is embedded into it. Uh, this is true in, in all, God's always introducing irritants. If you want to get anything actually clean, you've got a, a washing machine has an agitator. Because it's the agitation, it's the irritation that breaks loose the dirt that's embedded. There's a certain amount of clean you can get just by adding water, but then there's a certain amount of clean that you'll never get without some agitation. So... <laughs> If you got an agitator in your life, come on, somebody. Don't turn to the left or to the right, and don't look at your spouse at the moment. But man, we got like God is—he's been doing this for so long. Jesus walks on the earth, and he finds a blind man, and and he goes to heal the blind man's eyes. And the way he does it is he spits into the dirt and creates mud and shoves the mud into the eyes. That is so offensive. I'm sorry, that is not politically correct. The dude's weakness is his eyes. Look, that's the thing. We, 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 we want to comfort him. We want to make him feel not estranged and not weird. And Jesus just, just shoves mud in the very part of his body that doesn't work. All the rest of his body works. And he starts shoving mud in there. It's so offensive, actually. And we don't think about this stuff as offensive because we're like, oh, that's what Jesus did. Like, um, there was a recent shooting of, um, of a, it's like a retelling of Jesus' life from Mary Magdalene's point of view, I think. Well, King Phoenix is the main actor. And um, they decided to sort of make a version of Jesus that was like hyper feminist. I think I don't know. It was kind of weird. But anyway, they got they they took some creative license with it. And instead of Jesus healing a blind man, he was healing a blind woman because you know women are better. Um, and so uh, and so Joaquin was Jesus. I don't know how you get more white than that. It's so weird. So Joaquin, the white Jesus, is going to heal this woman's eyes, and he's he, he's read the passage, he's heard it all his life, and he said that he went to the shooting, and he realized this is just awful. I, I can't quote him, because he had some F-words in there. But he said, who does this? Who shoves mud in people? But he says, he said, I, 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 I will quote this, he said, that is a horrible introduction to healing. Uh, so he, he, he changed it, and said he kind of licked his finger and placed it on her eyelids because he said that was a beautiful picture of healing. It's, and to me, that's such a picture of how our version of beauty, which is lovely, is great. But when is the last time Joaquin actually healed somebody? Like, So you can have beauty, but my God, like I think seeing is better than 
Then be, and, 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 and because we have such an aversion to agitation, such an aversion to irritation, we can't imagine a God that would apparently needlessly shove sand into somebody's eyeballs. We can't, we can't, we can't get that into our head because that's weird. That's crazy. But, but this is one of the reasons why we don't experience the great power of God. Because we don't think that God uses pain. We don't think that God uses suffering. This is one of the reasons why we don't have actual spiritual birth, because we can't put up with the bloody, painful process. I didn't mean that in an English sense. I meant that in an actual bloody sense. I mean, anybody that's been present in a birth, you have to believe that God does weird things in weird ways. <laughs> I haven't even given birth to a baby. I was there, though, at the scene of the crime. When, like, some people are like, oh, it's such a spiritual experience. It's a, well, yeah, when you're about to die, I guess it probably does get spiritual for Roe. You can tell me, did it? I don't know. But it's like, you almost die. Like, this something, this is coming out of this little, like, you almost die. It's brutal. And, and God invented that. He could have had any other way. And so God has a way of using pain, of using suffering, of using sorrow, of using an agitation. And I don't necessarily understand it. I don't know why I put money in the ladies, the guys. I, I wouldn't do that. But he uses an agitation. He uses an irritant. He sticks the mud in, in their eye. And he's always been doing this. And, and if you follow him for very long, you're going, he's going to introduce an agitation into your life, an agitator. He's going to introduce an irritant. You're going to have pain. And, he, he's not, and, and not only is he not going to tell you why it's there, he might even take responsibility for it. I think that's what's brutal sometimes is trying to understand that, wait a minute, you mean God's doing this? You mean God's shaking up our nation? You mean you mean God's shaking up our family? You mean God's allowing this? Yeah. Now, he's not approving of the sin, and so you have to keep that there, but he is bringing and he's introducing the irritant because without an irritant, you don't have real clean. You don't, you just don't. You don't have purity without an agitator. And um, I think that's what it says in James, James chapter one, verse three, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. And that's where we'd like to stop. God, testing my faith, so it's going to produce patience. Wonderful. But patience has a purpose. And you see that in the very next verse. It says, but, the big but. I'd like to do some big but sermon about all the big buts in the Bible. Because there is this... Big butt right here. And <laughs> it cannot lie. Uh, anyway, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but, he says, don't stop there. Let patience have its perfect work. How do I do that? That you may be perfect and complete. So perfection is more important to God than patience. Patience is supposed to get you to a place of perfection. Patience is supposed to get you to a place of purity. And so uh, you might be there today and you're wondering, okay, I got a lot of irritants in my life. And Pastor Harry's preaching this sermon on wild faith uh, from Habakkuk. Uh, guess what? Your faith is God. It's, it's really tame until God introduces an irritant. You have a domesticated faith, a faith that needs circumstances and situations to be such and such, that needs relationships to be at such and such, that needs your finances to be at a particular level, that, that, that will believe in God as long as I can see the results. But the kind of faith that God's building I think in our church and then in people I think he's calling us to all around our country I know, is the kind of faith that is the wild faith, the kind of faith that Habakkuk talks about in chapter 3, which we'll get there 
come Christmas and it'll be good. But it's the kind of faith that says, no, I, the Lord is my strength is what he says at the end of this. The Lord is my strength. An election is not my strength. The Lord is my strength. He will give me deer's feet. He will make me to walk on my high hills. In other words, he will give me the hill and then he'll empower me to walk on the hill. So that's where we're going. But if you want to get there, you have to receive the irritant that he's putting in your life. You have to recognize it as such. We are, we are, we are so prone to run away from irritation. Because we believe in our, you know, in, our, in our theology, in our mind, that it's not God. But what God is saying is this actually is me, Habakkuk. This is me. And he did it with the children of Israel too, right? The children of Israel had learned some patience. For, for what, 400 years in slavery, I'll do that to you. They learned some patience. They realized that, hey, God's going to move in his timing, and we're going to trust him. And for 400 years, they're slaves in Egypt. And finally, God redeems them, saves them, takes them out of Egypt. And they start going from Egypt to the place where God had told them they were going. And then God changes course. And Moses notes that in the, in the Bible. He says, I know what you're thinking. You thought we're going to go in this straight line because that's the way to the promised land. But God had different plans. So God takes them on this. Literally, they, they should just keep going straight. But God tells them, just go south. Just go down into the desert. So they go down into the desert. And that's where they run into, and then they start going straight again, and that's where they run into the Red Sea. And what do the people of Israel do? They camp out, because they know how to be patient. There's no complaining, there's no grumbling, there's no, oh, you led us in the wilderness to die, all that stuff, no. They, like, they're used to being patient. They come, into, they come across an obstacle that they cannot cross, and they say, well, I guess God's going to do something, so let's camp out, let's pitch a tent, let's get some fish, good, good fishing here, and we're good. And they were good until God introduced an irritant. Until they look up over their shoulder and here comes the whole Egyptian army. And at that point, they cried out to Moses and said, you brought us into the wilderness to die. Because they, had, they were used to the kind of faith that produced patience. But now God was introducing something to produce purity and to cause them to take steps that they hadn't been willing to take before. And that's why God says to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the people of Israel to move forward. So it, it, this, this is the tweetable quote right here. <laughs> uh, irritation produces activation. Irritation produces activation. Some of us were never going to move unless God got some irritant in there. No, I was saying some of us are so good at being patient, we weren't going to move. And I can tell you from my own personal life, I mean, here I am in Port Huron, I wasn't going to move from Port Huron. I like Port Huron. You know how nice it is out here? You guys are sweltering in Texas right now, all right? It's like 75, 80 degrees out here right now. Um, and th it's kind of a hot day, you know? Like, this is like this is great. Like I love Port, I've always loved Port Huron, and I always loved the church I grew up in. I thought it was a great church. I thought the people there were great. I thought the sermons were great. I thought the worship was great. I thought our, everything was great. I I had a plan. I was twelve years old. I had a plan. I'll just tell you right now. My my eleven year old also has a plan, and it's great to have plans. I'm not knocking it, but God's plan and my plan were different, and so God created an agitation. And and there were some conversations that went down with our family that we need to, you know, leave the church that we've been a part of forever. Look, look, if, if you actually understood that God allowed agitation, it would be so much easier to forgive people. 
for being instruments in the hand of God to get you to where you need to go. You would not be able to hold on. You Like Joseph looking at his brothers, it's like, how can you blame them when God used them? When you knew you weren't going to move without it, there's no way. I needed a push. And many of us do. Look, 75% of American population are the, uh, are, 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 are the S, you got to say that just right, are the, <laughs> uh, the letter S uh, in the disc profile. Disc profile, that personality profile will not change. They don't like change. They don't like things to move. They like predictability. And I am part of 75% of this population. I enjoy knowing what I'm going to eat. I go to the same restaurants all the time because I know what they serve. I don't want to try something new, bro. I don't care. It could be good. It could also be awful. And I like what I like. And so, like, most of us are like that. And God introduces agitators and irritants to push us. Why are you crying to me? Move forward. You, you, this is great barrier in front of you. An agitator or an irritant will cause you to take steps you wouldn't have taken otherwise. Will cause you to trust God in ways you wouldn't have trusted Him otherwise. Will cause you to believe for things you would not have believed for otherwise. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful for those conversations. I'm thankful for those irritants. I'm thankful for the stuff that pushed me to where I am. Uh, it's working for Tommy Tenney. You want to talk about an irritant? <laughs> Tommy, we love you. And the Lord used Tommy. As Tommy said himself, like, what did he say? Like, iron in my, my soul. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was the boot camp of Tommy Tenney. God will use these times in your life. And you have times, and maybe you're going through them right now. And you're, you're wondering, where's God? Look, God is the one rubbing the sand in your eyeball. <laughs> and telling you to make a five-mile trip to the lowest point in all of Israel to wash it off. Why, why would God do that? Well, he doesn't explain himself. But I'm telling you, healing is on the other end of it. Freedom is on the other end of it. Purity is on the other end of it. Miracles are on the other end of it. He says, move forward. And as they move forward, the Red Sea parts, and they walk through on dry land. So some of these things are on the other end of it. And we can see that in their lives. And I want to encourage you to believe that for your own life. Trust God's maybe connecting some dots for you. And I want to just close by by talking about and going a little bit deeper. So if you can accept the truth that God introduces irritants. And actually maybe ask yourself this question. Do I believe? Do I believe that everything in my life, the good and the bad, have been allowed into my life by my Heavenly Father? Do I really believe that? Or am I so busy, well, in the charismatic church, binding and cursing things? Get thee behind me. Get out of COVID-19. <laughs> you know, like, if I'm so busy trying to bind stuff that I think are is bad and get rid of all sickness, because nobody should ever be sick. If I'm trying, if I'm too busy attacking what I perceive as my enemies... I don't have the chance to admit that God is God and he doesn't check in with me all the time. He just, he does things. And I'm not saying everything bad is from God and some things need to be bound. Some things need to be broken. Absolutely. But to have the discernment to, to as Habakkuk did, Habakkuk is asking God instead of simply saying, all right, well, I need to, 
the God, God's telling me the Chaldeans are coming. I need to go rebuke the, Chal the spirit of Chaldean so that it doesn't come here. Rather than that, he goes to God and he says, wait a minute, why are you doing this? This is the one we must go to. He is the one we must turn to. And he'll give revelation about what to bind and what to loose, by the way. There's some things that need to be loose. And so, and, so, and so if I could actually believe that everything in my life has been permitted by God for a reason, and that reason may be to stretch my faith, to walk through it, to bowl through it, to bind it, to cast it out. That reason also may be to stretch my faith, to allow that, 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 that army that's at my back push me into my destiny that's in front of me. But it really starts. And so if you can accept that, if you can believe that, now we can get to the real stuff. The great block, I think, the great blockage to actually receiving the fruit of the neurism. This is the problem, man. When we just live with your kids, it gets tough. If you're just a pair of dirty underwear in a washing machine, it's beautiful beauty. What, what King Phoenix would love it. If you're a, a, a pair of dirty underwear in a washing machine and you never, you're always avoiding the, the agitator, you're just going to get really dizzy. You're not going to get very clean. You're just going to get very dizzy. And a lot of Christians are just super dizzy and not very clean because they... <laughs> They jumped into the washing machine of Jesus and they avoided the agitator of the word of God for so long. They like parts that they like, but they don't like other parts that are as uncomfortable. And because they never accept the parts of God's word that are uncomfortable, they just get dizzy. And it's so tiring. And so this is this this is the great blockade. Is this really this it's it's the sin of irritability. So if an irritant is what is helpful, then irritability is the rejection of every irritant. Let me just tell you how you might know if you're participating in the sin of irritability. If what doesn't suit you upsets you, that's the sin of irritability. If what doesn't suit you upsets you, that's irritability. If, like, and this, this might come as a shock, but biblically, other people's shortcomings, put it that way, you might say horrible sins uh, or, you, or whatever, but other people's shortcomings should not exhaust you. Biblically speaking, they, they shouldn't weary you. They shouldn't stress you out. Now there's a certain level of negativity, I think, that we have to guard against, which is why it's really great to unfollow some people on Facebook. And you have the power to do that. All you Texans, Michigan folks probably just, just block people easily. But in Texas, it's like I don't want to. I don't want to be rude. I don't. No, no. They don't even know it. You can un. You can unfollow them, and they won't even know it. I've unfollowed like everybody, and uh, they so much so Facebook makes me follow people now, and I'm like I don't even remember following these people. So you can unfollow if you don't want to see all the negativity. But there is something wrong when you can't see reality without being bothered. There's something wrong when you have to hole up in a, in, a, in a pit to, quote, keep your peace. I'm trying to keep my peace. I can't, I can't be a part, I can't see that. Well, yeah, when it's your peace, I mean, congratulations, but there is a peace of God which is stronger than knuckleheads on Instagram. There is a peace of God that is stronger than unrest. There is a peace of God that is stronger than COVID-19. Uh, there's a peace of God 
that it, scripture says will guard your heart and mind. Like it's a he's a he's a bouncer at a bar kind of piece of God. He's not like oh don't offend me piece of God. He's a like he's gonna he's gonna tell who can come in and who can come out. Like that's the kind of piece of that's the piece of God. He's so strong. And now your piece is maybe not be that strong, but God's peace is a strong peace. And irritability, the sign that you're you're dealing with irritability is when things that don't suit you upset you, when other people's shortcomings annoy you to the point that it upsets your peace. You might want to check in where you're getting that peace from. Because it might not be God's peace. It might just be yours, which is very circumstantial. But God's peace, like, like, you know, Paul and Silas, like, get thrown in the bottom of a dungeon with a bunch of people that don't agree with them. God forbid. And people that probably voted for other people that they didn't vote for. And all kinds of nonsense. And non-mask wearers. And mask wearers. Like, that was a thing. And, 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 and yet they still had their peace. Never mind the fact that they'd just been whipped, you know, 39 times and their backs were bleeding and they were in stocks and chains. I mean, yeah, but I mean, like they were they were they were subjected to social niceties and they still had their peace because it's the peace of God. This is the kind of faith that God wants to raise up inside of us. We've had too much of this cultural Christianity that really isn't purity at all. It's just teaching us patience. And God wants purity. He wants a bride that's pure. He wants a church that's pure. He wants people that are pure. And so he's happy to shake things up. He's happy to get you in the bottom of a dungeon if it'll get you to abandon your sense of peace and cling to his. And so this is what happens. That irritability, though, stops that. And and yet, and then it causes us to get so cloudy as to what is what God has allowed into our life and what, what God hasn't. And the cool thing about being a pastor is you kind of get to see both sides of this. You actually get to be both sides of this. <laughs> so this is the joy of being a pastor. Pete is ordaining. It's a good or, or, ordination, or ordination message. You will be an agitator. Accidentally. Even if you're not agitating as a person, you will be an agitator. And you will also be like people's heroes. This is weird. Any given Sunday, all right, I'm, I'm talking to a camera right now, but heck, even in this room, maybe, there are people that are a part of the church city chapel that are listening to me and and they come up to me and they say i'm such a blessing in their life i'm such the anointing of god i'm the best thing since sliced bread you know they're like oh i just love you and you just couldn't do no wrong and that lasts for about three weeks and then they get to know me a little more and then they join the small group or whatever and and and, and then as they grow in their faith they realize oh the pastor is not perfect he doesn't live at the church he doesn't, it was like your teacher, you know, you thought she lived at school. And it, like, he doesn't, he doesn't live there. Like, oh, he has an actual life. He has a family. And he's also trying to work out this holiness thing. And he's also uh, walking with God. And, and so he, his personality isn't agreeable to me all the time. And he says things like God puts mud in your eyes. And I don't like that. And, 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 and it's interesting. So I, like, in a, on any given Sunday, I'm talking to people who are new to the faith. And they're actually, I mean, they think pastors are out to get their money. So in some sense, in Austin, I'm the guy out to get your money. And then other people, I'm just a wonderful blessing. I'm the anointing of God in their life. And then other people, I'm an agitator. Like uh, a few years back, I was talking to somebody after Sunday morning service, and they, they said, well, your preaching's just getting so kind of negative lately. And I said, well, I just ended, and this isn't to defend me, but I said to him, I said, well, I'm trying genuinely to understand. Like, what do you mean? 
because I know I tend to get, you know, if I'm going to go positive or negative, I'm probably going to go more negative. So I'm open to this criticism. I said, okay, so like, what do you mean? Because I was just in a sermon series. I just wrapped up a sermon series called Anything Can Happen. (laughs) Talking about God's unlimited capacity to do the impossible. I said, so (laughs) you mean like anything can happen? Is that like, I didn't mean like a thousand ways to die. Like I was talking about God can do anything and I was excited about it. And he's like, well, no, that's not really it. And I said, well, look what? He said, well, like today. So that helped me understand. He didn't mean I was preaching negative lately. He meant that particular Sunday I had said something that was negative. And what I did is I quoted from the book of Revelation where God judged the earth. And I said, oh, I just read from the Bible. He's like, yeah, I'm not really. So he wasn't really sure about the book of Revelation, whether or not it was true, whether or not it applied today, all that kind of thing. We had that discussion. So it's interesting, like the the very same, the very same book, very same word of God that we can say, oh, we have this wonderful savior and he's loving and kind. And and then we read about him putting mud in people's eyes and and trampling people underneath his feet in the book of Revelation. And we're like, what in the world? And so there's parts of the word that are agitating. And I didn't change my preaching. I, I'm reading from the, this is my same material every Sunday. This is just it. This is all I got. And so I just kept saying the same thing. And at one point in his journey, I was great. And another point in the very same person's journey, I was negative. I said, oh, I, I didn't mean to be negative. on There's great hope from judgment. And it's the blood of Jesus. And, and like he's the answer. Like, let's go. But in people's lives, depending on their particular place in their journey, um, I can be both of those things. And so the, on the one hand, people would say I've been sent by God. And on the other hand, people would say, I'm sent by the devil. <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. And uh, it's just so interesting. So I want to encourage you, uh, number one, uh, if it is biblical, like the question is not, is this making me comfortable? The question is, is it biblical? And a pastor who shares the word of God with you faithfully will eventually share some agitating things. And you will be forced to question, okay, was I following this pastor because he made me comfortable? Or was I following him because it was the word of God? In fact, am I following God because he makes me feel good about myself? Or am I following him because I believe he alone has the word of life? And so the the, the word of God will become, at some point, irritable to you uh, in your journey. And I don't know where you are right now, but at some point, uh, it becomes absolutely necessary. But I want to encourage you just to, to lean into that. If it's true, if it's from the Word of God, then that means it's from God into your life. And if it's true that God re- allows everything that's come into your life, then really, I mean, you need to receive it. You need to say, God, what are, uh, what are you doing in this? Habakkuk says, God, why would you allow this? And God never really says the why. Instead, in chapter 2, we're going to get into next week, he, he, says, he says, write down the vision and make it plain so that the one who reads it will run. He didn't mean run away. He meant we'll start acting, act, acting on it. We'll start moving on it. We'll start, we'll start moving forward. So that this vision, this idea that God's bringing these awful people into Jerusalem, and this is, a, this is going to happen. I want you to run with this. Not run away, but run forward. I want you to take the next step with this. I want you to move forward with this. I believe that's what God wants us to do in all of this because it's ultimately, it's testing like our intention uh, if we are following God for ourselves or for some other reason. There's a passage, uh, I just want to close with Luke chapter 10. Um, it's a famous story of 
two ladies, a uh, Democrat and a Republican. Um, <laughs> so I throw that in there. One was wearing a mask, one was not. Um, <laughs> and their names are Mary and Martha. And if you've grown up in the church, you've, you've heard that you need to be like Mary and not like Martha. Now, that's not necessarily true. The Bible doesn't even teach that. But anyway, I, I, I want to start at verse 38, back up the story just a little bit. In verse 38, Jesus and his disciples were on their way, and he came to a certain village. Jesus is traveling. His disciples are traveling. They come to a certain village, and there a woman named Martha. See, I'm not even going to say which one was the Democrat, which is Republican, just to mess with you. There a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So people who say you shouldn't be like Martha, well, you probably should, because if Martha hadn't opened her home to Jesus, Jesus would never have been in her home. There are certain people that will see Jesus walking down, uh, just minding his own business, and will be so moved by him and so interested that they will initiate an invitation to him. And they will welcome him in. And that's Martha. Martha welcomes him into the home. By the way, verse 39, she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that she was making. And so she came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. This is the problem with irritability. You will get irritated at people who are doing nothing. <laughs> Don't look around, just eyes straight ahead. I'm just saying, when, when irritability is a part of the, your, the way you see the world, then everything goes through the lens of your filter of judgment, of the way you think people ought to be acting. And you can literally be in a coffee shop by yourself and becoming, be getting frustrated by people in an entirely different city, an entirely different part of the world. You don't even understand the context of their life. And you get irritated by them. So much so that you go to God and say, God, would you... Tell them to do something different. <laughs> she doesn't even go to Mary. Like, can't we at least have a conversation between the two sisters? No. The Republicans don't want to talk to the Democrats, and the Democrats don't want to talk to the they, So they go to Jesus and like, can you tell my sister to do what she's supposed to be doing? And truly, culturally, that was the expectation. Women were supposed to be preparing the food and welcoming the guests. Jesus and his 12 disciples and their wives and their kids, and everybody had invaded their little house, which was about this size of this living room. And this is the whole house, the bedroom, kitchen, everything. Like, it's about the size of the living room, all in one room. And they had an upstairs thing where they'd do stuff up on the roof. And so Martha's running around like a chicken with her head cut off because she's anticipating the needs of Jesus. And she expects Mary to be doing the same. And then Jesus, it seems like Jesus rebukes Martha, but he really doesn't. Instead, he says, Martha, Martha. That's a term of endearment. Because he knows that without Martha, he wouldn't be in the house. He knows that it was Martha that called out to him. He knows that it was Martha that saw him and said, I need him in my house. So there's a great relationship between both Mary and Martha and Jesus. I mean, it's throughout Scripture. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. The, the words there actually mean, I think King James says, busied and hurried about. It's like you are pushed and pulled in several directions. And that's, what, that, that's where I think that's another place where irritability comes from. Nobody wakes up in the morning and plans to be irritable. It's just 
you know, they open their phone and something sets them off. Or they talk to somebody and something sets them off. Or things begin, or, or the, the needs of the day, the to-do list starts pushing and pulling and the rest of the family responsibilities and the nuances start pushing and pulling and those people don't, I don't, can't say that around them and I can't, and it starts pushing. And you're pushed and pulled by so many things, Martha. So Martha had the, 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 the wisdom to invite Jesus into her house, but the problem with Martha is that she, was, she wasn't in charge of her own life. She was pushed and pulled by so many things. She was driven. That's why irritability is like low-key anger. Like nobody chooses to get angry. They arrive at anger because they're pushed and pulled there. And people that have anger management issues will tell you, they don't, this isn't a choice, I don't choose it. And, and it's true because they're pushed and pulled to it. And they feel helpless and they feel like they can't get out of it because they're pushed and pulled. Same thing with irritability. It's just low-key anger. Instead of, you know, the vein blowing up in the middle of your forehead, you're, you're, you're irritated and agitated and judgmental and critical. And so you, you don't arrive there because you decide to one day. You arrive there because you are pushed and pulled. You allow so many things to push you and pull you. And even there, the needs of the house are pushing Martha to interrupt Jesus, God, from talking. And Jesus says, okay, what you're doing is not good, but I know why you're doing it. So I'm going to speak to that. You're pushed and pulled by a great many things. And I think one of the reasons why we don't allow the irritant to have its perfect work is because we're pushed and pulled by so many other things other than what God is doing. And this is what Jesus says. He says, there are a few things that are needed, or indeed only one. And she had already done it, the thing which was needed, to invite Jesus into her house. And now, he says, Mary has chosen what is better. And so that's my encouragement to you. Why don't you choose something better? Why don't you choose? So Mary had chosen, instead of preparing for the needs of Jesus, Mary had chosen to sit in the moment with Jesus. And so many of us are so pushed and pulled by the needs of tomorrow and the needs of what's coming and how we think we need to organize the world, that we, we do not just sit with him in the moment. Mary is sitting with him in the moment, which, by the way, in that culture, she didn't even have the legal right to do. Women weren't supposed to sit and listen. Women were supposed to prepare and work, and the men were supposed to sit and listen to the teaching. Because why would you teach a woman? <laughs> well, King Phoenix would not agree with that. But in that culture, what she's doing is against the rules. And yet Jesus says, look, she's not even being pushed and pulled by cultural norms and rules. She has decided, she's chosen something better. There's something better than keeping the rules. There's something better than finding my place in the order, the pecking order that my society says I should be in. And what she has chosen is to receive from Jesus. So really, Mary and Martha are two sides of the same important coin of salvation, to receive Jesus first and then to receive what Jesus has to say, to have patience and then to have purity, to be saved from Egypt, yeah, but then get into the promised land. It's going to take, it's going to take both of those. And so I don't know, man, it's, God wants to do two things in your life. He wants, he wants to break into your home and then he wants to change your home. 
And the breaking in, Martha was good for that. But Martha wasn't ready for the change. She was going to keep doing what she had always done. Even though she had somebody in her house that was entirely different than she'd ever had. And so I think the way to get rid of irritability is not to say, Lord, I'm just getting rid of the spirit of irritability. It's the only positive thoughts here. That's not really it. Um, the way to step away from the spirit of irritability is to recognize who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life and submit to it. That patience would have its perfect work. And this is something that if you have, so it starts with receiving Jesus. If you've never received Jesus, you need to open up your heart to him and receive him into your heart. Because none of them make sense at all until he's in the room. But when he's in the room, then you have the authority to actually ask him what he's doing. And this is what I'm, this is what I'm doing every day. God, what are, what are you doing? That's what we're talking about in our small groups, how to hear from God. What are you saying? Uh, experiencing God. Lord, what are you doing? How can I be a part of it? Instead of just simply always praying the culturally correct prayer or the positive prayer. Oh, bless him, bless him, bless him, bless him. Well, okay, that's cool. But maybe God wants to do something else. Maybe his blessing is, is a different avenue. Maybe he's introducing something. Maybe you're praying against what God is actually doing. And so actually submitting and listening. And this is all Martha had to do was sit down and listen. That's it. She just had to sit down and listen. Stop being pushed and pulled in every which direction and just sit down and listen. So let's just take a few moments right now. I don't have an altar call, but I think it'd be good just to, we're already sitting down. You're probably sitting down on your couch. What if we just took a moment just to sit down and listen? Just to close our eyes. You can bow your head if you want. I don't know. You don't have to close your eyes. Um, you can look around and say, God, what is the better thing? What is the better thing that you're doing in my life? I know what I think needs done. I know what my culture would like me to do. I know what the expectation is. I know what I should post. But what is the better thing? What are you doing? What are you saying? What are you working? Lord, we start off by inviting you into our homes and into our hearts. For those that have never done that, it's really it's just a matter of Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So simply calling on Jesus, saying, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I'm full of sin on my own, and I need a Savior. Putting your faith in the shed blood of Jesus. He died for my sin. He rose again on the third day for my forgiveness. Putting your faith in that. Receiving him into the, the room of your of your life, of your heart. Then after that, many of us have done that. And then we got busy doing other things. And then we got busy going about our plans and our lives and our education and our uh, goals and our bank accounts and our savings. But Lord, may we choose the better thing. Today we, we stop and we sit down and we ask you, Lord, what are you doing in my family? What are you doing in my marriage? What are you doing in my kids? We, 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 we know how to do the, the politically correct thing. We know how to do the nice thing. We know how to do the easy thing. We know how to do the expected of us thing. We know how to be pushed and pulled. We've been pushed and pulled all of our lives. Such a driven culture. We don't know how to sit and listen to you. Not naturally. We must train ourselves 
must intentionally must choose. Mary chose something. She wasn't pushed to it. She wasn't pulled to it. She wasn't overwhelmed by this great feeling of emotion because she was at a Hillsong concert. She chose that which was better. It was a simple, it was a choice, a simple choice. She wasn't, she just chose it. She recognized her need that she didn't just need Jesus in her house. She needed to sit at his feet. Then just need Jesus with her. She needed to be with Jesus. Lord, you said your sheep hear your voice. So if we truly are your sheep, we'll hear your voice. You speak to us. You speak to us like this. You'll speak to us while driving. You'll speak to us in the shower. You'll speak to us with brushing teeth. We welcome the voice of the Holy Spirit in this hour to take us from fragile faith to fortified faith, to take us from domesticated faith to wild faith until we can truly say, the Lord is my strength. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for joining us today.